Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. If y'all would please stand so we can start worshiping. Soul shall fill. Then 
sweeping up to glory to see his blessed face where rivers of delight shall ever of ten thousand to my would please stand and we'll continue to worship and before we start the next one um if you all would welcome mr doyle he's been so gracious to come and play for us today so thank you we appreciate it Is our God, and all will see 
this road of life has led you to a valley of defeat. You wonder if your father has heard your desperate plea. There is hope in that rugged place where tears of sorrow dwell. Can't you hear him gently whispering, I'm here and all is well. Even in the valley, God is good. Even in the valley, he is faithful and true. He carries his children through like he said he would. Even in the valley, God is good. He's so good, even in the valley, God is good, even in the valley, He is faithful and true, He carries His children through, like He said He Good morning, good morning. Thank you, Sister Belinda, Brother Doyle, Sister Katie. Thank you so much for leading us in worship this morning. And as we gather this morning, I would like to, uh, to say before we get started, uh, on behalf of uh, my family and and myself, uh, I would like to extend a thank you um, to all of you. Uh, the uh, Christmas gift that was given to my wife and and myself uh, through the form of the love offering uh, was so gracious, and uh, we appreciate it just more than you can imagine. So thank you so much, uh, sincerely, from, from the bottom of my heart. Um, and thank you for your prayers. As we've been recovering this past week, the flu has uh, run through the house. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't advise any of you even step in the grass between the church and the house. I'm afraid the grass may have gotten infected at some point. But I think we are, are getting through all of that. Liette and the kids are, are recovering. I feel 100% better uh, than I did. So thank you so much for your prayers. And as we get started, as promised last week, and real quick, I'll go through it, uh, Bible reading plan. So it's five days a week. I'm asking you for five days a week. I'm not even telling you which five days to do. If you don't do Mondays, 
Don't do Monday. I don't care. That just means you get to do Saturday, whatever you want to do. All right? You want to make Sunday one of them? Read it. Just don't read it during the message. Read it during the song service, okay? Um, just kidding. Just, just kidding. Uh, but, so here it is. Those of you, there's some on the back, some in the front. Now, I'm going to confess. There are two different handouts. There are some that look like this. These are the ones that you really want. Uh, your pastor's not smart enough to figure out the printer, so I had to call in reinforcements this morning. So the ones that I made, they look like this, all right? The, either one will work. If you get one of these, come back next week. I'll give you one of these. We only have so many of these, but here's how it works. You grab it. It's got a lot of writing on it. The front says five-day reading plan. Really difficult. What you're going to have to do is fold it in half just like that. When you do, it looks like a book that you can open up. On the inside, it begins with week one. Runs through on the back week 52. So you're going to be asked to read day one, ask you to read four chapters, four chapters of the Bible. So it's not too much. It's not going to take way too much of your time. You're not going to be looking at it going, oh my goodness, here we go. I have to read the Bible again. Guess what? You get to read through the entire Bible in one year. How many people have read through the Bible cover to cover already in their life? Good. How many of you have not? Go ahead. Don't be embarrassed. Okay, good. It's about a split right now. So guess what? By the end of this year, everybody can raise their hand and say, I have read through the Bible cover to cover. And you don't have to get bogged down reading Genesis 1 and then reading through Revelation in order like that. I don't know how many of you have attempted that, but usually you get to about Leviticus and you lose steam and all the Levitical laws. What this does, it allows you to read a little in the Psalms, a little in the New Testament, a little in the Old Testament, and you put it all together that way, and you can read through the entire Bible reading just five days a week, making that commitment, and think about how much smarter you're going to be at the end of this year. You'll be able to sit out there and look out, and when I say something, go, you're wrong, Brother Jason, that's not what it says. And then you'll be so proud of yourself. So, I challenge you, I ask you to accept this challenge to read through the Bible as a church this year. It's not difficult. Again, if you get one of the fancy sideways printouts, you're good to go. Highlight it as you go through. If you have to take one of the old up and down preacher messed up handouts, bring it back next week, trade it in for a proper model. All right, We just ran out of the others. Uh, again, one day I'll learn how to use that printer. But if you have not seen it, it's got like 8,000 buttons. And every one of them tell it to do something else. And I don't know the difference between landscape and horizontal and bifold and tri-punch and all that. I don't know what any of that means. So if any of you would like to send me to a class, I'll go. I probably still won't know what it means afterwards. But, all right, enough of that. So last week, we introduced the idea of making this year the best year of serving the Lord that you've ever lived. How to make this year your best year of serving the Lord that you have ever lived. We talked about you having a potential to have productivity for the Lord that you have never experienced in your life in 2018. We said that no matter what 2017 looked like for you, whether it was the best year of your life or the worst year of your life, 2018 could be the best year of your life serving the Lord if we would just, just look to Christ as we went. And so this week we look to a topic that I believe goes right hand in hand with last week's and that is the idea of being honorable vessels. Being honorable vessels. One that does the work of the Lord. An honorable vessel. Now this passage this morning 
uh, is often used in charges to pastors or at ordination services or things of that nature. But I believe it's applicable to all of us as we look to seek and serve the Lord together this year. So please stand in honor and reverence of the reading of the holy words of our holy God from 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like a cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also from youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. In humility, correcting those in opposition. And if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Let us pray. Father God, God, we pray now that any spirit in this place that might hinder us from worshiping you would be escorted out the door that it came in at this moment. God, we pray now that for the next few minutes, your people would lift up your holy name in the worship through the reading and teaching of your word. God, if I were about to say anything in error, bind my tongue and remove the words from my mind. Because God, I am keenly aware that what we need is a word from you this morning. So God, let your Holy Spirit dwell among us, that you would be glorified. And we will give you the praise for all things. It's in your sweet name that we pray, as all God's children said. And you may be seated. Honorable vessels. Now, if you look at verse 14, you'll see some words there in verse 14. In some translations, it says, uh, not to strive about words, to no profit. Some translations will say, not to be useless in the words. And I believe that the best translation of to no profit would actually be useless or dishonorable. But then, if you look at verse 21, you see the other end of the spectrum when he starts to talk about a vessel of honor or a useful vessel. And so in these verses here, in 14 through 26, we have a comparison of two vessels, a a transition taking place from a vessel that is useless or of to no profit, all the way to a vessel that is useful and honorable. 
And so we have in this description a servant from the Lord. And I might dare say that anyone who is a servant of the Lord, anybody here this morning, would probably like to be on the latter side of that discussion. We would probably like to be able to say that we were honorable vessels, that we were useful vessels, that we had a purpose for serving the Lord and that we could fill that purpose. Verse 21 tells us that a useful vessel is going to be sanctified, it's going to be useful, it's going to be prepared for every good work. Now that seems like a nice, tidy, three-point sermon that I would preach on those three points, but that's not our message for today. In fact, today, you don't get a three-point sermon. You get a full-blown six-point sermon. How many of you are excited? Good. Good, good, good. Six-point sermon. You won't want me to get the flu no more. I spend too much time with my Bible in my hand when I'm sick because I can't go do nothing else. So we're going to look at six things, but good news, they're half points. So it's really like a, a three-point sermon times two. It won't be that bad. The service won't be any longer than till I quit. So six-point sermon this morning. We're going to look at six things, though, that I believe, I truly believe, that we need to put in our lives if we're going to be honorable vessels for the Lord. All jokes aside, six things from our text that we need if we are going to be honorable vessels to the Lord. First thing we're going to see is that we have to have a biblical faithfulness. A biblical faithfulness. Notice in verse 14, as Paul writes, he says, Remind them of these things. He's charging them before the Lord. Paul is reminding right here that as believers, we have been charged to do a ministry. We have been charged as believers. This is not just for pastors. This is not just for Sunday school teachers. If you are a child of God, if you are a blood-bought believer, you have been charged to a ministry. And that ministry is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. To share the love of Christ with those that you come in contact with. You, my friends, if you are saved, you have been enabled, you have been equipped, and you have been called into a ministry. And so Paul is reminding us that this charge in the ministry was given to us in the presence of God. It's basically a reminder of who we're accountable to in this ministry. Who are we accountable to? Well, we're accountable unto God who charges us with this ministry. And so what is that, that charge? What's the first thing that he tells us? He says, don't strive about words. Don't wrestle with words to the ruin of those who hear what you are proclaiming. So don't wrestle and wrangle and strive about and, and wrestle with these things because it, it's going to do detriment to those that hear it. That word for ruin is literally the word for catastrophe. So it's devastating to those who hear your message if you get so caught up wrestling with these words. So what in the world is wrestling or wrangling with words? What is Paul talking about when he writes and he's talking about a dialogue? or a conversation, or a debate with lies and false doctrine. He's talking about abandoning biblical faithfulness. He's talking about abandoning biblical conviction and sound doctrine and clarity of Scripture. It comes from this idea that not only was popular then, but we see that it's, it's becoming ever more popular again now, and it's probably been that way throughout history, that we need not be dogmatic about things as Christians. We should, instead of being dogmatic about things, instead of standing on things and proclaiming the truth, we should instead be open to conversation, looking for common ground with the world rather than standing against the world. And so what's the problem with that, Brother Jason? What's the problem with 
uh, with trying to have a good conversation. Well, that sounds okay on the outside, but what Paul is not talking about here is trying to be friendly to somebody. He's going to go on later and say that we shouldn't be uh, offensive to those who don't know the truth. He's going to tell us that we should be humble to those. But, but what he's talking about here is when we start to look for a common ground with the world, rather than standing on biblical truth, we start to sound less like the church and more like the world. When we start looking for common ground and trying to, to flex what we believe, to try and fit, to, to make somebody else feel better about what they're going through. We want to connect with them better. So we're going to, I'm going to back off my biblical faithfulness. I'm not going to stand on my sound doctrine because I may offend somebody. And I don't really want to offend anybody because, well, that's just not what we want to do. That's not the way to, that's not the way to do it. So I'm going to back off this and, and I'm going to kind of look for a common ground of conversation. And what ends up happening is instead of proclaiming the truth, we water down the Bible and we start to make ourselves sound more like the world and we start to quit sounding like the bride of Christ and we start sounding like those that we're trying to have a conversation with. It's why some churches now have begun to affirm homosexual marriage. It's, it, it's why some churches now have begun to affirm abortion in some say, cases. Why, why some have begun to affirm premarital uh, sex and, and say, well, it's okay. Uh, it, it's not a sin. It's why some churches have begun to, to do all these corrupt theologies and begin to look and, and say, well, you, you know, you got to be good enough or, or there are many ways to heaven. We don't want to be dogmatic about Jesus because we don't want to put off the Oprah Winfrey theology. We want to make sure everybody's happy and, and you start to have this theology enter the pulpit where if you just smile big enough, everything's going to be okay. And if you just name it and claim it, it's going to happen. And I told you last week, I, I claimed a short buffet line. I got there and it didn't work out. So apparently I didn't claim it in enough faith. I guess I didn't smile big enough when I said it. And so all of these things don't come when we stand on solid rock Bible faithfulness. These things come when we water it down and begin to look for babblings with the world. We start to want to say things that make other people happy. And why do we do that? Well, we, we want to fill our churches up. We want to talk about our big numbers, and so we don't mind if we look a little more like the world, if that's what it takes to get a full house. But Scripture plainly tells us if we have to step away from the Word in order to fill our houses, it's all for folly. It's all for folly. So how do we avoid this behavior as a church? Verse 15 says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, <coughs> rightly dividing the word of truth. When you rightly divide the word, let your word be your conviction and your truth. And when you do that, you don't have to wrangle with words. You don't have to wrestle with words. You don't have to try and, and fake a conversation. The world says, but I, I, think, I think this is okay. I think I should be able to do this. Verse 15 says... Be diligent to know the word and say, it doesn't matter what you think. What matters is what God said. Well, well, but I was always taught this. Good. But this is what the word says. But this is, this is what I think about that subject. I don't care what you think about that subject. Not that your opinion doesn't matter. 
But your opinion doesn't matter. The Word of God is what matters. And my friends, if we quit going to the Word of God, what do we have to stand on anymore? If we quit standing on the concrete of the Word of God, what, what in the world are we going to stand on? Is it going to be my thoughts as your pastor? That's dangerous. Those of you that have known me very long know that's very dangerous. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, my thoughts can be pretty self-serving. But if we stand on the Word of God, it doesn't, we have that standard in which we go to. But verse 15 says, be diligent. That word in the, in the Greek literally means to give maximum effort. Give maximum effort. Be diligent. Give it all you got to present yourself approved to God. Pour everything you've got into being approved before God. Give everything you've got to knowing the Word of God. And then when it goes on to say a worker, that's a different word than laborer. There were two words in the Greek for worker. The word that he chose to use there is not the word for laborer, but instead the word for a skilled craftsman. Now I want you to think about that with me just for a minute. Paul's writing here says give maximum effort that you can present yourself to God as a skilled craftsman in his word. A master craftsman. The idea is like that, you know, you've all seen, well, not all of you. Some of you have seen these Facebook videos of these men that do this woodwork. I saw one the other day where a guy started out with about 40 coloring pencils. And he ended up with a kitchen table. Amazing. Beautiful. He, he glued them and rubber band. I mean, next thing you know, this man has got a kitchen table. And when you watch that video, the only thing you can say is that is a master craftsman. That's the only way that could be done. But he had to give his maximum effort to learn how to turn coloring pencils into kitchen tables. He didn't just figure that out accidentally. He diligently went to work every day. And that's what, that's what Paul is writing. We have got to give our maximum effort to being approved before God that we would present ourselves to God as master craftsmen in the Word of God. Unashamed. Right? What's he say? So you don't have to be ashamed of the gospel when you've put everything you've got into knowing it. You can stand on the truth and know that it's the truth because you have given yourself to becoming a craftsman of the Word of God. And you can take your stand with pride. He says, don't get caught up in the babblings of nothing. It's worth it because it doesn't mean anything anyway. Stand on the word. And then Paul goes on to give us an example of, of Hymenaeus and Philetus. And these were two pastors in that day, and they strayed from the truth. And he goes on to say where their straying came. They said, we believe that the resurrection of the saints has already happened. That's what they were preaching. They were saying that the believers had already been raptured and resurrected. And it began to shake the faith of people around. And Paul is warning us here that as believers, we're called to a stricter standard to know the word of God and speak it in truth because people are listening to what we say and we can lead people astray. And so in order to be an honorable vessel, we have to stand strong on the word of God. When the world says, but, but, but God, is, God is love. So shouldn't we 
be able to love who we want to. We don't have to stand and have an argument. Do you know how many times I have seen that go down this bickering back and forth? Well, the Bible says, and then they say, but I think. And at the end of the day, you got somebody that believes in the Word of God and somebody that doesn't. And the person that believes in the Word of God is using the Word of God to make their argument. And the person that doesn't is, is using the fact that they don't believe in the Word of God to make their argument. And you know what you end up with? You end up with babbling that means nothing. It's just an incessant argument. Paul says, don't waste your time on that. Stand on the Word of God. Thus saith the Lord, I'm not going to argue with you about it. If you think you want to love who you want to do and you're not going to listen to the word of God, I can't convict you. Only God can convict you. But here's the truth. I love you. Here's the truth. And now I'm going to go on and I'm not going to argue with you. We don't have to bicker. We don't have to <coughs> try to soften the blow. We don't have to apologize for the word of the Lord. We don't have to feel bad because God's Word says this. If God's Word says it, it is the truth. And we don't have to apologize for that. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry that the way you're living is contrary to the Word of God. I'm not sorry that the way you're living is contrary to the Word of God. I'm sorry that you've fallen into that. But here's the truth. And I don't have to apologize for the truth. My responsibility is to tell you the truth. And as believers... Our responsibility is to stand on the truth. We don't have to do it rudely or hatefully. We don't have to apologize for digging our feet into the Word of God. In fact, if we owe any apology, it's when we don't dig our feet into the Word of God and, and, and bunker down. Because quite frankly, it's not loving to not share the truth. It is much more loving to stand on the word of God and say, Thus saith the Lord. That is when you love somebody. It's when you're willing to share the truth with them. So one, whew, we'll go through the next five real quick, I promise. One, we have a biblical faithfulness. But two, we also need to have a pure fellowship. Look with me at verse 20. Look with me at verse 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also vessels of wood and clay. And so he uses the, the plural form of that word, and he shows that, that in any house there are many vessels that are proper for serving, and there are vessels that are not proper for serving. Some honorable, some dishonorable. Verse 21 says, If anyone cleanses himself from the vessels of dishonor, then he's telling us there that not only do we need to be able to divide the Word of God properly, but we also have to be able to separate ourselves from those who would pull us in to that arguing and bickering and standing on false gospels. Last week we talked about Psalm 1, and here I think that's another reference that we could pull out, that we need to stand Blessed are those that don't stand in the way of the scoffers. No, we don't, we don't, are not called to stand in the seats of the scornful. We're not called to stay there. We're called to bury our roots by the living water. Blessed are those who stay in the right places, essentially. Proverbs puts it this way. The companion of the fools will suffer much harm. The pure and honorable vessels, quite frankly, need to hang out together.
That's basically what he's saying. Pure and honorable vessels need to hang out together. Where can we do that at? Gee, I don't know. Maybe church. Maybe that's what we're supposed to be doing when we gather to fellowship with one another and worship with one another. That's what we're supposed to be doing is gathering with other believers to worship the King of Kings. It should strengthen us. It should encourage us. It should give us accountability. And it should challenge us. We don't need to gather together as a group of people so that we can pat each other on the back and tell each other how nice our suit looks or how well we're doing or how good we're living our life. (coughs) We need to challenge each other with biblical obedience. We need to lift one another up. and We need to encourage each other to be more holy. That's what we're supposed to do when we get together. My job as your pastor is not to open this book or call you to my office and pat you on the back and tell you how good you are and how you should feel so good about yourself. My job as your pastor is to open up this book and preach the Word of God and let the truth fall where it is and let that divide how it divides and call you to my office and speak the truth to you in love in such a way that you are made more like Christ, not that you like me more. That's not my responsibility as your pastor, and that's not our responsibility to one another. We are called as pure and holy vessels to lift one another up, to encourage one another, and to challenge one another, and we need it because I don't know about the rest of you, but if I don't have somebody else to buffer myself against, I begin to think of myself as much better than I am. I have a tendency to see Jason Maul as pretty good. So sometimes I need another vessel to come along and say, hey, you're not there yet, big boy. And so we need each other for that. We need a biblical faithfulness. We need a pure fellowship. We need a pure heart. Look at verse 22 with me. He says, flee also from youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness. Stop there just for a second. That word for flee is the word for fugitive. So literally, what that statement is, is that we should be fugitives from all that defiles us or pulls us away from righteousness. How do we keep clean hearts so that we can be usable vessels? By actively pursuing righteousness. How do you not fall into unrighteousness? By pursuing righteousness. Get away from the lusts of your youth and pursue Holiness. Get away from the things that are natural and move towards the things that are godly. And it's not something that we do once. It is a daily pursuit of righteousness. Can I tell you a secret in case you don't know it? It's not normal to pursue righteousness in our sinful state. We are going to want to gravitate towards the things of the world, the things of the natural man. But what scripture tells us is we have to pursue righteousness, and we have to keep on pursuing righteousness. And it says pursue faith. So pursue righteousness, pursue faith. Now righteousness is telling us to pursue obedience to God. Pursuing faith is telling us to pursue loyalty to the person of God, to the person of Christ. And so why do we want to obey God? Because of our faith in God. Why do we believe in? We believe in Christ and all that he did when he died on the cross. 
Why do we want to be obedient to Christ? Because we think of what he did for us. So we want to pursue righteousness and we want to pursue faith. And I don't know about you guys, but when I think of what Christ paid for me on that cross, it makes me want to obey him. It makes me want to obey him. So if we want to be used by God, we have to be faithful to the word. We have to pursue a pure fellowship. We have to pursue a pure heart. And we need to have a discerning mind. Look at verse 23 with me. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Guys, there's always going to be plenty of opposition to the word of God in this world. Always. There always has been. There always will be plenty of opposition to the word of God in this world. We have to be able to discern when to speak and when to avoid a dispute because it's only bringing strife. This is one of the reasons it's so important to maintain a biblical faithfulness that we spoke of earlier. There are so many false doctrines. There are so many false teachers. There are so many wolves in sheep's clothing that we have to be able to discern the truth and proclaim the truth. Now quickly for the sake of time, we also have to have a gentleness in manner. A gentleness in manner. There may not have been a more fiery person in all of Scripture than the one who wrote this chapter at Paul. Paul was capable of standing in front of the Sanhedrin. He was capable of standing in front of Gentiles and Jews and standing and proclaiming the word of God unapologetically and standing against the wrongs. But as he comes to verse 24, he says, The Lord's servant must be gentle and patient. Must be gentle, must be patient, must be able to teach. So think of this. The servant of the Lord has got to be able to speak the truth boldly. Knowing that we will endure persecution. Knowing that there will be false teachers. Knowing that there will be those that stand against us. Knowing that those will stand and take what we teach and say that it's not true. They'll have to stand and they'll say these things about us. We have to be able to discern when we should stand against them and when we should not argue. We'll have to do all of those things and we still need to do it in a manner gentle enough that we'll have opportunity to share the gospel and teach them. That sounds difficult, doesn't it? I'm going to speak the truth boldly, but I'm going to do it humbly. I'm going to stand courageously, but I'm going to do it gently. I'm going to proclaim the truth and, and stand against the falsehoods of the world, but I'm going to do it in such a way that I can still share the gospel with that same world that I stand against. But when we think of how difficult that sounds, I want you to think of our Savior and his example that he gave to us. Go back with me just a moment to a place called Golgotha where a persecuted and beaten and bloodied Savior hang on a cross. Are you there yet? Think about those arms stretched wide and those nails and that crown of thorns hanging there on a tree. Think of all he had endured in the days prior to that crucifixion. And tell me this. Has there ever been a person or a place in history where someone was more warranted 
to say, leave me alone. What are you doing crying out to me? Leave me alone. I'm hanging here on this cross for sins I didn't commit. I've been beaten, I've been bloodied, I've been tried improperly. I did nothing wrong, yet I hang here on a cross. I didn't say a word about my kingship, yet I sit with a crown of thorns on my head. I didn't do anything to deserve this. Leave me alone. When in history did somebody more deserve to say, I don't want to be gentle right now. I want to be angry. I shouldn't be here. And Jesus deserved that in his humanity. How many of you would feel that way? If you'd been put down and beaten beyond what you deserved for something you didn't do, completely innocent. And yet our Savior did what? When the thief looked over and cried out to him, did Jesus say, I don't want to hear from you. I don't deserve this. No, in the gentleness that is Jesus, he shared himself in that moment with someone that deserved the punishment. And he said, your punishment's not eternal. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Think about that. How can you stand and say, how am I going to proclaim the truth but still do it gently? My friends, Jesus stood on a hill with his arms stretched open and still proclaimed the truth gently to that man. He never wavered from the truth, did he? He never said your earthly sins... They're not bad. He never said, you're okay, everything's fine, everything's hunky-dory. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he shared the gospel. He shared Jesus. He shared himself. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to share the gospel in love and in truth and in a gentleness of manner. And finally, we're to do it with a humility in our spirit. When we are opposed, verse 25 says what? We are in humility to correct those in opposition. In humility, correct those in opposition. Why? Because we hope that God will grant repentance and reveal to them the truth. This is hard to do, isn't it? I mean, when somebody's wrong and you have the truth... Don't you really just want to kind of rub it in their face? Ha, 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 you're wrong. Look, here's the truth. God says we're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to approach them in such a way that our greatest hope would be their repentance and the revelation of the truth to them. Our greatest hope would be that the truth would be revealed to them. And if we're being completely honest, though, the last thing we really want to think about is somebody else's repentance when we want to stand against them and tell them about their problems. We're fine with pointing out their sin. We're fine with pointing out the biblical truth. We aren't always so good at doing so in such a manner that it would be humble and breed repentance and allow us to present the gospel to them. Why? Because we really want to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. That's what we want to do, right? That's our nature. We want to be the judge, jury, and executioner. But my friends, we're just vessels.
We're not the judge. We're not the jury. We're not the executioner. We're just vessels. And if we are diligent, then hopefully we'll be found as honorable vessels. Vessels to be used by our Lord to share his gospel and to do his work. So you want 2018 to be the best year of serving God in your life? It will not happen by accident. It will not happen by happenstance. It will happen by you committing this year to being more faithful to the word and more faithful to Christ. And I promise you this. If you will give your all to Christ, he will use you in an amazing way. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word, for your mercy, for your truth, Lord God. God, as we hear a challenge from Paul, under your inspiration, Lord God, we ask that we would take it to heart. God, we wouldn't waver in our commitment to a biblical faithfulness. That we wouldn't be ashamed of standing on the truth that is your word. But that God, as we stand on that truth, we would do so in such a way that you would allow us to share your gospel and show your mercy. God, we pray that As individuals and as a church, 2018 is a year like we have never experienced before. But God, we recognize that we have to be humble servants, slaves to you. And you will do a mighty work with us, Lord God. So God, my prayer would be this morning, if any of your children in this house have anything that they need to lay at your altar... Anything that they need to leave behind on this day and not carry with them anymore, would you give them the courage and the conviction to do that this very morning, to be broken free from those chains, to leave them at this altar and to move forward serving you? And God, if there be one here this morning who's never accepted you as Lord and Savior, who doesn't even know what I'm talking about when I say cast their cares upon you, then God, would you give them the courage and the conviction? as only you can, to cry out, God, please save me this morning. God, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for you alone are worthy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.